It is our delight to have with us today uh, an old friend of ours, Cross Church uh, has known and prayed for Sergio and Nancy Bersaglio for oh, at least 20 years. And uh, in case you don't know, Sergio is the director of the Villages of Hope Africa. He's got 10 villages he's responsible for. And two of the 10 are the two villages in Burundi that our church has taken on. And uh, just to give you an idea, a bit of a perspective of what he's responsible for, in Burundi alone, we've got over 250 kids that we are caring for. One of the things that we wanted to do is we wanted to raise 70000 uh, for the work in Burundi. We wanted to sponsor 70 kids. The good news is that we raised over 100000 And yeah, go ahead. Just give a big hand for that. And, and the other thing is we, I think we sponsored 74 kids. So we actually went four over. Now, if you do the arithmetic on that, folks, if, it's, if, if, if each kid represents over the course of the time that they're sponsored $5,000, we're looking at close to $400,000 uh, of the time that those kids are in the program. So what we did this weekend is very, very big, very, very significant. And I know that Delson, who's now with the kids on the other side, he's the director of uh, our villages in Burundi and and Sergio, this is, this is such a relief. It's such a great help knowing that over the years to come, these kids will be cared for this way. So I just want to say thank you. If you want to sponsor a kid, uh, we do have the table over to my left. The lights are off right at the moment, but there it is. You can just go over that table. There's still some profiles there. Um, the actual, in actuality, we have 99 kids that don't even have one sponsor. So we've, we've, we've got to 74. We're, we're almost at 99. So if you, if you would like to come and sponsor a child, Janet will be at the table at the end of the service uh, prepared to, uh, to sign you up. But we do thank God for, for your generosity, for your obedience, for your willingness to give. Hey, you know what? Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really uh, feel a huge obligation to put the burden on people who, don't, who are not believers but for those of us who are Christians, this is our responsibility. And that's pre- precisely what my brother Sergio is going to speak to us about this morning. So let's give him a hand as he comes. Thanks. Thank you, Pastor Allen. It's great to be with you this morning. forgotten, the ignored, or as Jesus referred to them as the least of these. And I want to talk a little bit about that phrase today, the least of these, and what that means. But before we look at it, we have to understand the setting in which Jesus said these things and where he said it and who he said it to and some of the events that were taking place at that time. He was on the Mount of Olives um, with his disciples when he told them this. It was just after they were down from the Mount of Olives. You can see the Temple Mount. And they would have been, they spent some time at the Temple and Jesus talked about some of the things that were going to happen there um, in the days to come and years to come. And from there, he took them up to the Mount of Olives, across the valley and up on the hills. Just an absolutely lovely spot. 
I, I've had the opportunity to visit there twice and just amazed by it. And he sat there probably under an olive tree and chatted with the disciples. And they had questions about the things that he said while they were down around the temple and talking about the things that were going to happen. So Jesus is addressing his disciples here. I think that's important for us to understand. If we're followers of Christ, these words apply to us. And during this time, he talks about what's going to happen after he departs. It wasn't long after this that Jesus was taken prisoner, condemned, executed on the cross, and was buried. And he warns his disciples that after he's gone, there's going to be imposters coming, those who claim to be the Christ. And then in verse 9, he tells them that they're going to experience persecution. In fact, some are going to die because they are followers of his. He was pretty straight to the point with them. I think sometimes following Jesus is not an easy thing. Especially when it can cost us. And for some people, it costs them their lives. And I'm sure for the disciples, they were wondering, you know, what, what, what's he talking about? I thought I thought you were here, you were going to conquer the Romans, we're going to kick those rotters out of our country, and you're going to be our new king, and we're going to serve with you, and all is going to be well. What are you talking about here? And Jesus reminds them of some Old Testament passages, and he he speaks to them from Daniel 7, when it talks about the Son of Man coming back through the clouds and that that was going to be him. He doesn't want them to be discouraged as they wait for him to come back. And the scriptures that they grew up with were full of of signs of what was going to happen in the future and of the things that were going to take place. And he was helping his disciples put the pieces of the puzzle together so that they wouldn't be too discouraged and too confused about the events that were about to take place. And during his conversation, Jesus points to a fig tree and uses it as an object lesson. And he says that the fig tree, when it blossoms, is a sign of summer to come. It was like the cherry trees in the neighborhood where I grew up when I was a little boy in Vancouver. And the streets were all lined with these trees. And in the spring, they would blossom into these beautiful pink and red flowers. And, and it was just stunning to see. But for us as kids, you know, what we knew was summer vacation was just around the corner. And we knew that we were getting close to that final bell ringing when we could just leave school and not have to come back for a couple of months. It was a sign. So we're always looking for signs. Things that are going to come. 
But for the disciples, they wanted a date and time. Okay, you're going to be leaving us, but when are you coming back? You know, so they would have taken out their, their phone or iPad or whatever, opened up their iCalendar, and come, we're ready, Jesus. Tell us, tell us, right? Uh, Jesus says, only the Father knows. I can't even tell you. However, he makes it clear to them that the day and the time is not what matters. What matters is be ready. And that's for us today. It's not about the time. It's not about the year. It's not about the date. It's about being ready. Even when maybe the signs aren't quite indicating his return. When we're confused. Or you hear people predicting dates and those dates come and go and nothing's happened. Those things don't matter. Just be ready. What Jesus is trying to teach his disciples. Be ready at all times. So, and he uses a series of parables throughout this passage to illustrate his point. He talks about a faithful and unfaithful slave. He talks about ten virgins. He talks about talents. About a king, a sheep, goats. Jesus was a great storyteller. And it was a culture that was that learned through stories, through parables. It, this wasn't a, a strange thing for them. But it can be confusing for us. What are talents? You know? Is that a talent? I don't know. I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. And many of us don't really know much about sheep and goats anymore. The disciples would have understood. They grew up with sheep. They grew up with goats. I took some kids that I was, uh, that I am discipling in, in Lusaka. I took them to a sheep farm one day. You know, and we got to experience the difference between sheep and goats. And they, the goats were kept in a pen, and the sheep were out in the field. The kids walked into the pen to chase the goats around and left the gate open. All the goats disappeared, right? So I said, Come, go get the goats back. Boy, herding goats, herd cats, same thing. <laughs> Took forever to get all these goats back into the pen. The sheep were just minding their own business out there, and the farmer comes along with his sack of food and and all the sheep heard the whistle. They turned and walked in. They knew. Big difference be- between sheep and goats. And the disciples understood this. And it was in this setting that we find this verse talking about the least of these. And Jesus says, if you do to the least of these, you're doing to me. If you ignore the least of these, you're ignoring me. And he was preparing them for the future when he was no longer with them. And Jesus is telling them that what's expected of a disciple when the rabbi is no longer around is no different than when the rabbi is around. 
And he tells them through these stories that disciples, they multiply talents. Disciples are wise. They're faithful. Even when it seems like the master is not coming back, you are still to be faithful. You are still to be wise. You are still to multiply. And that applies to us today. As we wait for the Lord to come back, we're to be wise. We're to be faithful. We're to multiply. We also need to keep in mind that Jesus always taught from the Torah, the Jewish scriptures. And this list of actions about feeding the hungry, dressing the naked, caring for the sick, giving water to the thirsty, welcoming strangers, visiting those in prison, they all come out of the Jewish scriptures, the Torah. And they come from that commandment that says to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus in Matthew talks about two of the the two greatest commandments. The first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he says the second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And that second part comes out of Leviticus 19, verse 18. But that first part is, is crucial to everything. And I, I've been working over the last few years to get every single village of hope child to have this memorized and to be able to recite it. It's known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, Shema, to hear. I wear a ring that has Hebrew letters on it to remind me that I'm a Shema guy. It's not a derogatory term. It's actually a good thing to be a Shema guy. And I'm trying to get every child, every village of hope child to be a Shema child. To know that we're to love God with everything in us. To love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And and the second part here for the disciples went hand in hand with their understanding that we've been created in the image of God. You see, if we're called to love God and love our neighbors, we love ourselves, then if we despise ourselves, are we free now to despise others. But as human beings who have been created in the image of God, we are to love ourselves. And we are to love others as we love ourselves. So despising people and despising self is not an option. There is dignity in being a human. And when you work amongst the least of these, a 
lot of times we don't choose to be the least. We're just made the least. And being made least, we end up despising self. And if you despise yourself, remember this, you've been created in the image of God. And God does not despise you. God loves you. And we are called to love our neighbors. We love ourselves. Therefore, feeding and clothing, offering water to thirsty people are human things to do. And they are things that we do because we are image bearers. We bear the image of God. And I've been really challenged by this in the last few years. The whole concept of being an image bearer. We are to show the world God. I'll tell you some days I look in the mirror and that frightens me. Huge responsibility. And the guy I see in the mirror doesn't look a whole lot like God because I know what's in here. And I know what's in here. We have to work at that. We have to, we, we have to always remember that we are image bearers. And the disciples also would have been reminded that these words that Jesus spoke would have come out of Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 7. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of the wickedness? To undo the straps of the yoke? To let the oppressed go free? And to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him? You see, Jesus was not telling the disciples anything new. These are are things that they would have heard in synagogue growing up as young Jewish boys and girls. He was helping them to put the pieces together. And as you read the parables, that Jesus used as examples, we see them making these actions. They're they're linked to the relationship to the master. They're linked to the relationship to the bridegroom. They are linked to the relationship to the king. And they understood kingdoms in those days. If you're an enemy of the king, you are an enemy of the country and of the subjects. If you are a friend of the subject, you are a friend of the king. It it just goes hand in hand. So it makes sense that Jesus said, what you do to the least of these is like you're doing them to me. I am your king. And how you treat those within my kingdom is the way you are treating me. And Jesus expects the same of us today. This was not just something that was for the disciples. It may look different today. Different times, different cultures, different economic structures, but the principles remain the same. Loving our neighbor as we love ourselves and doing to the least of these hasn't changed. So we have to try and really understand in our time 
in our day and age and in our economic structures who are the least of these. And the Greek word talks about a description of a size, of an amount, and it refers to dignity. So it's about something that's very small, the least of these, something that's very small in size, something that's very cheap in value, and someone who's of very low stature in society. The Apostle Paul used the same word to describe himself in 1 Corinthians and in Ephesians when he referred to himself as the least of the apostles and the least of the saints. He's using it in the terms of stature amongst a group of people. But defining something that is small This can be very subjective. So on the border between Congo and Zambia, there's a forest with indigenous pygmies that live there. So if I was to go there and minister among them, I'd be a giant. You know, the full-grown pygmy is... Put me on an NBA team, and I'm a pipsqueak. (laughs) feel quite overwhelmed. And stature is defined differently from one culture to another. An economic condition helps to define these. So what we would call poverty in Canada would be seen as extreme wealth to someone from Burundi. So we have to navigate these things and try to really understand who the least are. So who do we go care for? And I think when you look at the ministry of Jesus, that helps us to understand who he's talking about. When he, when he was preaching on the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the people that gathered to hear him and the people that he was ministering to were the oppressed. The Romans had conquered the land. They had the people underfoot. Caesar was overtaxing the people. And he wasn't providing for them any safety, social safety net for them. He was just taxing them and that money was flowing to Rome. So the people that gathered were the oppressed. They were the sick. They suffered of diseases, epilepsy. They were paralytics. Some were even demon-possessed. And if you were demon-possessed, you were an outcast. Who wants a demon-possessed person hanging around, right? Remember the demon-possessed guy guy that Jesus met on the other side? You know, they had him in chains. (laughs) He was violent, right? But these are the people that Jesus went to. These are the people that he ministered to. These are the people that he pronounced a blessing upon. The Beatitudes were for these people. They weren't for the Roman elite. We find Jesus 
in, in the Gospel of Mark, going to the other side. So he went to the other side, met that demon-possessed man, freedom. The man was now clothed in his right mind. The man said, oh, I want to follow you. I want to become one of your disciples. Let me come with you when you go back to Galilee. And Jesus gives him a bizarre answer. Completely shocks everyone. He says, no. All I need you to do is go back and tell people what God has done for you. No Bible college. No seminary. No mentoring. Just So then... Sometime later, Jesus goes back. And you have to remember, this area, where on the other side, was again an area that had been traumatized by the Romans. Josephus, the historian, talks about what the Romans, how they, they swept through that region, destroying villages, tearing families apart, killing the young men. Many children were left orphaned. Probably that demon-possessed man would have been an orphan who was just left and, and, and saw what the Romans had done to his family. His wife, or sorry, his mother, his sister, probably raped. The villages were burned. And it wasn't a Jewish region. It was po- populated by Gentiles. Yet Jesus went to them, ministered to them. And now they recognized them, and they brought their sick to him. Before they ignored him. Now, remember the previous story, you know, they told him to go away. I mean, he killed their pigs, right? Told the demons to go into the pigs, and the pigs ran into the Sea of Galilee. Like, go away. That's our livelihood, Right? Now, he's back. That one man did an amazing thing. Told his story. So the least of these can be defined by those who are not of us. There are people who have been neglected, oppressed, overlooked. There are people with needs and no one to meet those needs. We live in a very troubling time. People are being categorized and put into groups. And sometimes the very people that Jesus would see as the least are being shunned. Let's build a wall, keep them out. Those people. But those people are the ones that Jesus said, clothe them. Care for them. Help them. And sometimes the church gets their messages all mixed up. The Middle East is a very troubled place with a lot of people just put into these different categories and groups and neglected. And they end up suffering, and the children end up paying the price most often. So the least of these, in my mind, can, are also the children. 
Yet we know how Jesus viewed children. He valued them. A lot of times, Jesus would use children as examples of his kingdom and how to get into the kingdom, become like one of these. He didn't point to the Pharisees and say, you know, if you want to come into the kingdom of God, become like one of those Pharisees, Sadducees, become a religious elite. No, he grabbed the smallest, the least of these, and said, become like this. It's an upside-down kingdom. Many children today are marginalized, abused, neglected. For the most part here in Canada, we, we, we live in a culture that still values children. Um, we try to protect them. We're intolerant, or we at least, most cases, we're intolerant to those who abuse them. But it's not like that all over the world. Many children that we care for as Village of Hope, if not all of them, have experienced one form or another of childhood trauma, of abuse, sexual nature, physical nature, emotional nature. Many of them have experienced abandonment, neglect, Single mothers have no choice but to leave their children all day long to fend for themselves while they go off and try and make a living. Children who lose their mother and father end up living with extended family or other people in the community who have families of their own. So they they end up in this environment where they know they're not wanted, where they know that they are a burden I remember one boy that was with us in Kitway. He said, you know, before I came to Village Oak Kitway, the family I was staying with blamed me for how skinny their dog was because I was the one eating the dog's food. Compassion International says, Child abuse is a heartbreaking reality for many children living in poverty. And it comes in many forms physical, sexual, spiritual, and emotional. Child abuse includes neglect, exploitation, and child labor. Whatever the form, these facts about child abuse describe an urgent and growing need. Millions of children around the world are suffering and in need of someone to speak up on their behalf. And there's no doubt in my mind that when Jesus speaks about the least of these, he's speaking about so many of the children in the world today, who are in need of clothing, clean water, education, health care, food. But most of all, they need protection and they need love. And we as the church need to be the ones that are speaking up on behalf of these kids and ensuring that they are safe and protected. We are very troubled when I watch the news and I hear of huge church organization that's been riddled with abuse of their leaders towards children. And, and, they tend, and, and, and there's been a history of them rallying around the leaders and protecting them rather than rallying around the children and standing up for those. 
What part of this message don't they get? I don't understand it. The least of these. But that's the world we live in. And millions of children suffer at the hands of us big people. And there are many big people today who carry that baggage. And now as big people, they're, they behave different. They look different. They've been treated terribly, and that's why. But we tend to shun them and set them aside. They are the least among us as well. The refugees, the immigrants... Don't carry the same status in our societies and in our cultures as those of us who have been naturalized Canadians, born here, raised here. The least of these are in your backyard. The least of these are halfway around the world. And I know we can't do everything for everybody, but we can all do our part. And sometimes it's just a matter of putting your arm around someone who's hurting. And saying, hey, I hurt with you. So let us remember this. That as we move about our lives and go about our daily business, that we've been called to love God with all our hearts all our souls, with all our strengths. We've been called to love our neighbors. We love ourselves. And what we, when we go out there and do to the least of these, let's do it out of a love for God who looked down and has done plenty for you and for me. It goes hand in hand. It's not good enough just to love God. It's not good enough just to love our neighbor but we love our neighbor because we love God. We're sheep. If you're a follower of Christ, you are a sheep. You fall in that category. And and sheep know the master's voice. They they, they know the shepherd's voice. I've seen it. We kind of wandered around the, the wilderness in Israel with a Bedouin shepherd, and you could see the sheep knew who the shepherd was, and they followed... Our, our shepherd is calling us to care for the least of these. Nancy and I have heard the shepherd's voice telling us to go care for the least of these. And that's why for 20 years, we've been caring for so many children in sub-Saharan Africa. I know Pastor Allen and Cross Church, you have heard the shepherd's voice. That's why every year... The sanctuary gets transformed into this place. And every year people come and give because they are hearing the shepherd's voice. Love God. Love your neighbor. And people, love yourself. It's okay. It's okay to love self. God loves you, so you should love you. Amen. Thank you so much. Sergio, on behalf of the
whole church, we want to say thank you for going and caring for vulnerable kids in Africa. Can we just say thank you to Sergio right now? Just thank you. And thank you. Thank you, Cross Church and, and friends of Cross Church, for what you've done in raising this money. Hey, we sponsored 74 kids. We needed to sponsor 99, but we, met our goal. we more than met our goal. Wouldn't it be great if we could finish the job, get all 99 kids sponsored? It's just not that many more. Can we put the light on, the Burundi uh, stall there? We're going to leave that on right now. And at the end of the service, if you want to go over and sponsor a child, uh, there's still some profiles there. We would love to help facilitate that. I want to take care of every one of these vulnerable kids. Amen? Let's stand together, and we're going to just close in prayer. Father, thank you once again for, for the, the great work that was done this weekend. And we know, God, that, that many of us can't go over to Africa, and a lot of us can't go and just put our arms around these vulnerable kids. But, but we, can, uh, we can raise the money to to hire people there to do the job, to get the job done. And that's really what we're trying to do, making sure every kid's got an education, that, that their bellies are full, that they've got clothing, they've got medicine, that they've got a, a good church to belong to so that they can be developed spiritually. God, thank you for Sergio and the great work that he's doing there and just leading that charge and leading those 10 villages. And thank you, God, for Delson, who's taking care of of Burundi, uh, the Burundi villages with over 350 kids. It's just mind-boggling. But, God, we thank you that through Christ we can do all things. And so, God, again, it's just your people doing a little bit, and everybody doing a little bit is a lot. So we thank you for that. Now, God, we just give you the glory and the praise and the honor and giving you thanks for your help and your strength to live the life you've called us to live caring for the least of these in Jesus name. Anyone said it with me? Hey, tell the person beside you, congratulations.